Welcome to this episode of Turdy for Turdy. Make sure to let us know how we're doing. You can either email us at tftpod2018 at gmail.com or hit us up on the Twitter at Turdy for Turdy. You know, let's uh let's uh let's flush out the truth. And welcome to another episode of Turdy for Turdy. This is Andrew. I'm here with Maher. Hi. And you know what time of year it is, Maher? Uh, adventure time. No, it's that, that very special part after Halloween and right before Thanksgiving that we call After Halloween. Wait, you mean uh, the beginning of Christmas season? No, it's after Halloween season. I thought it was... It's um, after Halloween season, season, where things are still kind of spooky, but not Christmassy, not Christmassy at all. They're just spooky. It's a spooky time of year called After Halloween. Don't question anything I'm telling you right now. I I tell you what's spooky is being at the store and seeing all the Halloween stuff, and then directly like above it on the, one of the storage shelf is a box of candy canes and Christmas decorations. That's called. That's a. That's a, a takeover. Inside. That is. That's just evil. Those little uh, bastard uh, elves come in and put those damn candy canes all over my beautiful candy corn, and we got problems. Would you call it a ho ho, ho hostel? I don't know. That didn't work. Takeover. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, no, so anyway, Halloween was a couple of days ago. This episode's obviously coming out after after the uh, the holiday. But I decided, because I write the show, that I wanted to do a Halloween special anyway. You want to do a little Halloween special today? I mean, it not today technically Dios de los Muertos, which I don't think it is. I'm pretty sure that's actually on the 31st. Sure. But- no, um, we'll go with it. Nobody fact check that. We're going. No, with it. nobody knows when we actually recorded this. <laughs> it's a mystery. This could have been recorded but, in July. Yeah, I. I mean, personally, I'm excited. You know, I'm not a big horror movie fan, and you've seen me watch scary movies. You know, you know that's the truth. Yeah, we have to lie but, to um, get you to go to. I like Halloween just mostly because um, it gives people excuses to just make. Uh, different versions of costumes that probably shouldn't exist um and i'll let you use your imagination on you know what specific i think we're both thinking of the same one but i'm not gonna say anything so anyway well yeah you don't want to get yelled at you know no my i can honestly that moment moment of silence was me actually going back to exactly what we're talking about and just picturing (laughs) in my head and kind of like shuddering with ptsd <laughs> uh, I'm imagining like your wife hearing this and just like just running and chasing you down and just beating you. Well, up. jokes on us because like everybody else, she doesn't listen to this show. <laughs> oh. All right, so tonight's story is going to start in 1945. You know what that means? When I give you a year, it's time for the movie and the song. Um, I've made well, a theme so song for this section of the show, by the is, way. Is Did you like for that? 19, for 1945, is it the Blitzkrieg Bop? World War II. No, it was actually Don't Fence Me In by one of... 
and I'm not being facetious. Oh, okay. I really thought you were going doing a bit there. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm it's not. Don't fence me in by Eli Weasel. No, I'm being. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! I didn't. Oh, I didn't that was just that so one. wrong on so many different levels. Or, or oh my gosh! Not, let's, let's not forget. Um... <laughs> no, don't do any more. <laughs> Oh, I was going to say tanks for the memories. No, that first one was like, no one's going to get that joke. I hope you know that, that there is not one person that's going to get that joke other than me. And they're just going to hear me laughing hysterically and can't figure out who the hell Eli Weasel is. That was a, that was a, like a required reading and school. Oh yeah. No one read it. Yeah. I read it. I had to read that damn book twice. I read it once at high school and then it like popped up again in college, but because I didn't really read it the first time in high school, I actually had to read it in college. It's probably one of the only books I've read that like kind of made me oh, it's, not feel good. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, so no, the song was actually don't fits me in by Bing Crosby. You probably know him from White Christmas or any other assorted Christmas movies. He's the guy that looks like an alcoholic that sings in all of them because he was an alcoholic. Is is he the guy that Microsoft named their search engine after? I, you know, I don't know. I don't think that that was named after Bing, but if it was, that makes that gives me a whole new meaning for the search engine. Um, and the movie, and this is actually a good movie too. Like 1945 was culturally a good year. I'm gonna go ahead and say it. Mildred Pierce well, was the movie that year. That was the top movie. What movie? Mildred Pierce. Um, you've probably, I don't really... know if you've seen it or not, but it's actually a pretty legitimately good movie. I mean, I don't, I don't make a habit of going back, but I can imagine that was probably like a culturally exciting year with it being the, the end of, you know, World War II and all that good stuff. So the movie is basically, just to give you an idea, it's kind of a, for 1945, it's kind of a screwed up movie. It's basically about this woman. Um, she has a daughter. She becomes a widow. She decides to kind of go out for herself and start doing stuff on her own. So she opens up a restaurant and uh, she meets this new guy and he starts funding her restaurant. And her daughter starts coming of age and she's like 18 and she maybe bangs her mom's boyfriend. And then all hell breaks loose after that. Oh, okay. So just normal stuff. Those are like 2018 problems, not 1945 right? that's problems. I, that's what I'm saying. This was a good year. Like the movie was ahead of its time. Being Crosby's great. I mean, he wouldn't make it in today's world unless he put on some gold chains or something. But but he was cool for back then. I don't know. There's some really untalented people who have have made millions and millions of dollars. By, like, rhyming the word grocery bag five seconds after they finish their, like, rap course. True. There's also um, terrible rock songs that are just, like, people singing and their whole voice computerized over a computer track. If, if uh, 6 9 or whatever the heck that child rapist name is, if he can be, people know who he is. If that guy can be famous, then Bing Crosby can be successful, at least mildly, in any time period. Um, uh, you know what? I'm not going to argue with you on that. I think you're right. <laughs> he might have to like really jump into the acting side of things, but sure. Or just get rainbow hair and um, face tattoos and so that kind of stuff. Yeah, we have not gotten on topic yet. Are you actually ready to get this started? 
I was born ready. In the immortal words of SpongeBob, I'm ready. So, since we're doing a Halloween episode, we have to go to the sport that has the most superstitions and curses and, you know, all those, like, spooky-type themed things um, that fit with this subject. And that sport is baseball. Oh, my 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 favorite sport. Um, I will say that superstition is probably my most favorite thing about baseball. So we're going to start out today's episode by discussing probably the most famous uh, baseball curse of all time. And um, we're just going to talk through the timeline of how it started and and what went on with it and how it was broken. And then we're going to get into one that I think you're really going to enjoy. So you can't have a Halloween special where you're talking about curses without talking about the biggest curse of all time. So sit back, relax. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, okay. Sit back, relax, and imagine this is like, me reading to you the night before Christmas or something like that. Well, it's a con- it's, it seems like it is because I'm pretty sure I know this story of cr- just because of I'm a living, breathing human being. But you might not know everything about it, and that was kind of the reason. All right. No, I'm excited. Hopefully there's chickens. There are not chickens this time, unfortunately. Oh. One day we'll get back to the chicken club of Dallas, and that's not a sandwich. Okay. Uh, Chicago could be named the city of sports curses. Sure, you had the Jordan-led Bulls, but until recently, the other teams seemed to have rain clouds that perpetually floated over their heads. If you ask somebody which curse is the most memorable, I bet a majority of them would say the curse of the Billy Goat. Bum, bum, bum. Good timing. The Chicago Cubs were founded in 1876 and were originally known as the Chicago White Stockings. They won the first National League championship and six of the first 11 titles. The name of the team changed to the Cubs in 1903. The team remained dominant, winning 116 games in 1906. Holy shit. Wait, how many games? 116. Wow, they played that many games. Yeah, back they've then? always played that many games, but 116. Uh, That's like domination to the max. That's like a I never get tired type of record there. That that's like percentage wise for the amount of games they play. That's really impressive because baseball is a game where they like purposely don't care about 40 games a year at least. Yeah, and I mean. It's impossible to win. Like it's, it would be to me. I think it'd be almost impossible for a team now to win that many games with as good as the rest of the teams are. Well, that and then I mean, yeah, pitchers probably weren't throwing the ball a hundred miles an hour for seven innings back then either. True. Although the times are changing now, where they're not doing that as much anymore either. It's really weird. Hmm. Because like everybody's getting Tommy John surgery when they're like ten. Yeah, it's becoming a it's becoming like a health concern. So they've done a much better job of measuring um, stamina and stuff, which is actually going to play a part in this story here in a little while. So they won the National League pennant, but lost the World Series to the White Sox uh, that year that they won 116 games. The next year, the Cubs won their first World Series and would repeat. 
the year after that. So 1907-1908, World Series champs. However, this would be their last World Series title in 108 years. Bum, bum, bum. So even without the World Series titles, the teams were still the team was still successful. They won four pennants in a ten-year span from 1929 to 1939. And the Cubs' final pennant would come in 1945. And this, like I said earlier, that's where our story actually begins. So the Cubs were playing the Detroit Tigers in the World Series that year. They were leading the series 2-1 to one, with the next four games being played in Wrigley. So all they had to do was win two of the next of those four games at home. Uh, William Billy Goat Sianis, a local Greek uh, tavern owner, bought two tickets to game four. Uh, the other ticket, he, one ticket was obviously for him. The other ticket wasn't for his wife. It wasn't for a son or a daughter or a grandkid. It was for his pet goat, Murphy. Oh, wow. I thought you were going to say girlfriend, but now that you said goat, I'm really glad you didn't say girlfriend. Well, on the in my, my script here that I write, I actually put his date for the game was the pet goat, Murphy, but then that <laughs> implied something that I didn't really want it to imply, so well, I like, backed off of that. We're talking about Chicago, not like, you know, um, Atlanta. We're talking like about that. Chicago, not Odessa, where the men are men and the goats are scared. <laughs> I like how you just randomly threw out Odessa. Man. Shots fired. <laughs> so he was stopped at the gate and told that he could not bring the goat into the stadium. Aww. Yeah, but what the hell, oh man, all man. Got, all he has to do it's is 1945. say it's a, it's a service. It's a service animal. No, not that kind of service animal. <laughs> Emotional support goat. It's a service animal. If you let me take this in and cut a hole in the bathroom stalls, you'll have yourself a real nice quarry hole in well, no time. You know, service he could have just said he was just bringing the goat in in case he had a bad day. <laughs> oh man. You totally cucked me later on, but I'm still doing it anyway. All right. Uh, he even took the time to talk to P.K. Wrigley, who was the owner of the Cubs, about the situation. <laughs> why did I say it like that? It's like I'm talking about Jersey Shore, like Mike, the situation. He's like, yeah. hey, why won't you let us into the stadium with the, the goat? We want a potty. I'm imagining him doing like them in separate rooms, like with the close-up camera thing. And he's like, "Hey, man, I tried to talk to him, and he wouldn't listen to me." And the guy's like, "Yeah, some crazy dude with a goat like came up and hey, was trying to talk to me." Hey, bro, and I was just like, "I'm here to chew bubble gum and kick ass, and I got lots of bubble gum." Hey, bro, it's GTL Goat Tan Laundry. And then you look at my goat, and he shows him the goat, and the goat's got aviator sunglasses on. A goat should have a "I'm I'm horny" shirt. <laughs> goats have horns they do they do so pk ridley wrigley said that it was less about the actual goat getting into the stadium and more about the goat smell or they should have just um he should have brought his friend Ras uh ras putin ras putin ras putin so it said that uh Sianis started having a fit and said the cubs ain't gonna win no more the Cubs will never win a World Series so long as the GOAT is not allowed in Wrigley. 
What? Wow, that's a that's a bold statement considering there was no goats there before. Why? Yeah, why is all of a sudden this is the day that he has to take a stand for goats everywhere? Like I I've heard this story dozens of times before, for being honest, and I still don't understand why this dude is so obsessed with getting a goat inside the stadium. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's that that's a weird hill to die on. A very weird hill to die on. Like Dude, take the picture of the goat and take the picture of the goat in the stadium with you. Why do you need a goat? What are you doing well, with the goat? It was the 1900s. It's not like he could, you know. It take was a 1945. Picture. He could get a picture done of his goat that he could carry around with him all the time. Well, he'd have to get a picture taken. He'd have to go and get it developed, and then he'd have to carry around that picture. That's not an on-the-spot thing. Now, what else does you know, he have to do you if can he has time a- to take a, a goat to a playoff game? He has time to get a picture of the goat produced. Like, clearly the man doesn't have a lot of family stuff going on at home if his best friend in the world's a damn goat. I mean, you got my goat there. So the Cubs lost game four (laughs) and were swept at home. That pause was was what I was aiming for right there when you had to, like, like, rethink where you're going with your life. Um, Billy Goat, who is William Cianis, he just went by the name Billy Goat, just as a reminder, because I've only said it once. Billy Goat sent well, the Cubs. Go ahead. I thought when you were saying, I thought the Goat's name was Billy. I was really confused. See, that's why I had to repeat myself. So what's the Goat's name? Murphy. Murphy, okay. Oh, Murphy's Law, is that where it came from? I don't think so, but we can go with it if you want. It sounds cool. So Billy Goat sent the Cubs a telegram stating, who stinks now? And that's when the curse had officially begun. Uh, when you said that, I pictured like the old timey telegram style. And it's like, it's like, and it reads like, like, I don't know why I'm imagining like Morse code type thing. And the guy reading it out and it's like, who stinks now? Stop. <laughs> extra, extra. Who stinks now? Cubs get swept at home. Wrigley's pissed. Should have just let the goat in. extra extra crazy goat guy from the neighborhoods trying to blackmail the cubs read all about it extra extra man gets arrested for banging goat in the middle of the street no connection to billy goat or murphy read all about it i i'm curious what he blackmail him on like i got compromising pictures of me and my goat and i will release them (laughs) like wait what (laughs) <laughs> he put the goat in a Cubs jersey and like leaned a little bad against its shoulder. He's like, I'm going to tell everybody this goat plays for the Cubs. You're a putz. Everybody likes goats, but they don't want to see how the cheese is made. What? Do you like goat cheese? Um, it's, it's very uh, strong flavored. So I <laughs> just side story real quick. I actually have never liked goat cheese other than in Mexico. You could order goat cheese uh, nachos and uh, Matamoros. Absolutely delicious. But that's the only time I've ever liked goat cheese. Goat cheese is okay if it's, like, mixed and stuff. But if you just, like, hand me, like, a a slice of goat cheese, I I just, yeah, it's very, uh, it's different. Like, I'm not a big cheese lover either, but for some reason, like, its flavor is so different that it doesn't really register his cheese with me well in mexico they probably don't use real goats it's probably like donkey cheese rude i love mexico if i did i was letting you if figure I wasn't, out how, if it, how you if it used donkey. to be safe if it, if it was safe like it was like 20 years ago i'd go a lot more 
actually, I think it is kind of safe now. It's all a lie. The government's a lie. Yeah, there's, yeah, you know, they're just making up that the cartels exist. Cartels, uh, yeah, I mean, they'll be cool. I heard if you wave at them and ask them to take a picture with you, it's kind of like that section of Hollywood where you can take a picture with Spider-Man. I think they really like it if you're filming, like, a, a show about them, going into real detail of their operations, and just send two people out there in the middle of nowhere uh, to, to scout locations. I hear they really like that, and nothing bad's ever happened. Do you want to take our podcast on the road? We could go to Mexico and try to get one of them to talk about talk a, a soccer with us. League MX. We can do an episode about League MX featuring the cartel. We should just go down to like Nuevo Laredo and like hang out like at one o'clock in the morning in a dark alley. Or uh, what? What's the Tijuana? Everybody, pack your bags. We're going to Mexico. Even though I don't think Tijuana is anywhere. No, you're to totally to off, but it's fine. For the next twenty years, the Cubs finished fifth place or lower. This pattern of losing led to the team being called the Lovable Losers. And wait till next year became the motto. From wow, that's they um they're really subscribing to that. It's kind of like the Browns. Like we'll win more than you know we'll win a couple games next year. <laughs> we'll be a team next year. <laughs> From 1946 to 2003, the Cubs would post a record and pay attention because there's a lot of games. So, but I do want you to hear it. They would post a record of 4,250 wins. 400 or 4,874 losses. Um, so that's 624 well, more losses than wins over that time oh, period, okay. which in baseball I, is quite a bit. Because even I at thought, your worst in baseball, you almost finish like 500, unless you're the Astros from a few years ago where they lose like 100 games a year. Uh, I thought you were going to say something like they finished with like way more wins than losses and still never won, because that would have been funny. No, no, they sucked. I mean, if you think about it like this, so the Astros those years, and I'm an Astros fan, that's why I keep bringing it up in case you didn't know that. Uh, I know you knew that, but for other people. But even those years that they lost like 100 games, they still had 62 wins, so that's only a 40-game differential. So if you put it into that perspective, 624 games is a, is a lot over time. That's like 500 or less almost every year. Math. So they had fi- actually during that time period they ended up with 15 winning seasons like over uh, how many years was that? 40. I don't know. I'm making that. it up. Uh 46 to 2003. So like 60 years they had 15 winning seasons and only 3 times they were in first place. They were bad. Oh, I see what you're saying. That, it still worked, you know. It wasn't forced. Uh, well, unlike yeah, what that like, man did to the goat. I reminded myself that I wanted to do that in there. I even put in parentheses "sheep noise." Oh, <laughs> uh, you ruined it by saying "sheep noise." You could have, like, you know, put it as a goat noise because they make very similar noises. Oh, I guess so. We are talking about goats after all. Well, yeah, but I mean, all those a goat is a sheep, or a sheep is a goat that just has more hair. I guess so. And that works, yeah, and, that's fair. And, and, and it looks slightly different. In 1969, the year before Billy Goat Sienis died, he claimed that he lifted the curse. I don't think it works like that. Like, I don't think you can just be like, okay, curse is lifted, let's all go home. Like, nah, it, 
you if you started the curse, I think the people that were cursed have to find a way to break the curse. Well, you know, I imagine him like on his deathbed, like his last dying breath, his like family's there, his like son who he's like kind of lost touch with because he didn't like his lifestyle choices, and they're 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 reconnecting. You mean the fact that he took goats to playoff games <laughs> yeah. over well, his own his, son? His son never his son never recovered from the goat getting the seat to the game. The tickets that were probably super expensive, so they had a big falling out, and they're finally making up on the deathbed. And he just leans into the sun and like whispers like he's telling him a secret and he says, The curse is lifted. And then the sun goes home and like cries. I yeah, okay. I was thinking about this as I was writing it. There had to be a time where he regretted saying that they were cursed. Like he's like, damn, like I was pissed that day, but I really would have liked to have seen the Cubs win at some point in the rest of my life. Like, why did I do that? I mean, I could go over there and tell somebody they were cursed. It don't mean nothing unless this man was a witch or I guess. Well, he did take a goat to a baseball game. So that is something kind of like witchy to do. We don't know his end game with the goat. Was he going to sacrifice it? You know, (laughs) drink some of the blood? We don't know. And we're here at the 1945 NL Championship Series. And we're going to pan over the crowd, and there's a man standing up in the stand speaking in tongues. He has a black robe on. He's pulling out a knife. He's got a knife. He stabs the goat. And we have a sacrifice here. It's our first sacrifice of the game, brought to you by Pete's Bratwurst Factory. Oh, and he's on the field. They're hot. (laughs) He's on the field. What's he doing? He is making a pentagram out of goat's blood. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that was. Uh, that, that was that me. went very uh, non non gibberishy into like being very uh, um, specific to certain groups of people. That was supposed to be my tugs. It didn't work. All right, we're gonna move on. Um, so the Cubs rolled into a first place lead in August, but the Miracle Mets surged and took the lead back from them. When the Mets, uh, the Mets basically had to go undefeated for like the last month of the year, and they pretty much did it, kind of like what the Brewers did this year. And the Cubs were knocked out of contention. So in 1973, things started getting a little weird with the curse. Billy Goat's nephew was now the owner of the tavern and was dedicated to lifting the curse himself. Does that work that way? I'm not really a curse guy. I mean, I like the curse. That's, that's the extent of it, though. Uh, well, I don't know if it works that way, but damn it, they tried. So he got in touch <laughs> with a Chicago Tribune writer, and he created what I would call a big day out for the family's new goat, Socrates, who was a direct descendant of Murphy's of Murphy. Oh man, Socrates the goat. He's my favorite. <laughs> He's gonna philosophize for them. So the goat was escorted to the stadium in a white limo, and a red carpet was rolled out. The goat. The group of people with the goat, what I called the goat squad, held up a sign that said, All is forgiven. Let me lead the cubs to the pennant. They walked up to the gates with the goat, and the usher denied the goat entrance. So, this annoys me. If you're going to pull this huge publicity stunt, why don't you call the freaking cubs exactly. and say what you're trying to do? At that point, they would probably let a goat in as like a VIP or something stupid, but you can't just show up with like, you know, woodland critters and expect to get access to a stadium full of people. Like, where's the ghost supposed to, like, go to the bathroom? 
Yeah, there's so many problems with trying to take a goat into a stadium. Like, I feel like, I feel like this family is kind of the group of assholes. Like, stop trying to bring a goat into the stadium. Nobody wants a goat in the stadium. I don't want to sit next to one during a game. It makes no sense. I mean, I don't even think I would want to sit next to a dog at a, at a major league baseball stadium. They're not made for that. It's different. Like, if you go to like a minor league, could park you or imagine? They got grass. Like if they we, got all this stuff. If we went to an Astros game and tried to take my dogs to the game, how nervous they would be and uncomfortable that they would be. Well, that's because you got like giant rats. You don't talk about them like that. You can't. I mean, Chihuahuas are terrified all the time because everything's like ten times as big as them true anyway the cubs first place lead withered away that year and um the curse rolled on 1984 was actually the year of the goat and i'm not talking about michael jordan but um tis <laughs> the new owners of the cubs finally invited sam Sianis and his goat to the game the cubs won their way to their first postseason game in division uh title in close to 40 years the cubs won the first two games of the series against the san diego padres sienis and the goat wanted to go to the games in san diego but were left behind so the team was like okay fine you can bring the goat into the stadium we got a spot for it and like when the winning continued this dude thought he was just going to be like part of the team and go around with the team everywhere they went and then was like shocked when they didn't take him to san diego with the goat um, I don't understand these people. Uh, the Cubs lost both games in San Diego, and uh, the Padres forced a game five. What happened next is a sign that maybe curses are real. The Cubs needed eight outs to move on, and they had their ace, Ryan Sutcliffe, on the mound. A routine ground ball snuck through first baseman Leon Durham's legs. This allowed the tying run to score. Sutcliffe, who had been dominant in every postseason game he had pitched before, gave up the remaining three runs, and the Cubs never got it back. The Padres won the last three games of that series to knock them out again. So the reason why it said curses are real is that Leon Durham had hardly ever made an error in his career, and his first, like one of his first major errors of his career came during clutch time. Ooh, uh... Yeah, I don't know. That's a uh, that's not good. So, 1989 ended in a very similar fashion as 1984, where they jumped out to a lead in the wild card round, and it slowly fizzled out. Um, the goat was left behind uh, for the away games of that series as well, but this time it was in San Francisco. In 1994, the Cubs lost their first 12 home games. It was the worst home start in team history. So in all those years, 1994 was actually the worst uh, beginning of a season for the Cubs. Uh, Socrates the Goat returned to the stadium and tried to get entrance into the game. He was denied. The crowd began to chant, let the goat in. Now it's just uh, getting ridiculous. The the way you said that, though, imagine this, I imagine this goat like just like sauntering up to the front. And like trying to get in with no owners around or anything, just like like completely off leash, just like looking at the guy, just like with dumb goat eyes, and then this like guys like there's no way. Look, we're not letting a goat in. We've been over this before, Socrates. You're not coming to the game. 
Gosh darn it, so crates go away. Bah, bears. <laughs> well he does have the accent down so anyway he they walked the goat up to the gate the crowd around the gate started chanting let the goat in let the goat in but the ushers weren't budging uh it just so happened that hall of famer ernie banks was in attendance at that game and came to the goat's rescue since he was a hall of famer for the cubs he talked to the goats the goat and the owner in and the Cubs won the game and ended the losing streak. <laughs> Just to add fuel to the oh, fire that you, you need a goat in the stadium for things to be better. You know how bad things have to be to where a Hall of Fame person's willing to put his credibility with his own team, like former team that it, on the line to, to, to be like, I'm getting this goat in. Like, <sighs> Just let the damn goat in. It's like, well, I wasn't going to let the goat in, but this dude said let the goat in. Well, Arnie Banks is here, here, so. Yeah. Well, I imagine, like, that conversation, the going up to an usher who happens to, like, actually not know who he is. Because there are people that work those that don't know, you know, actual sports. You mean most of them. Yeah. I mean, there's a few super fans going up and not knowing him, like, I'm not going to let him in. It's like, you know who I am? And they're like, no, not really. (laughs) And then everybody's like, gets more angry than he does. So in 1998, the Cubs had to play a tiebreaker to get into the wild card. They won that game 5-3, to but left the GOAT behind in this series as well and were swept when they got to Atlanta. Man, this is like, what, three times in a row? Just bring the damn GOAT. Just try it. Just try it one time. Yeah, just do it. Just do it, man. Like, it's... Like... You don't even have to put the goat on the bus with you. Just give the dude a couple hundred bucks and say, fly. Fly your goat here. Uh, Which I know is really hard because goats don't have wings, but, you know, they'll figure it out. So that brings us to 2003. The Cubs and the Astros were in a very tight race for the division that year because, remember, the Astros used to be in the National League. I still haven't figured out the divisions, man. Like, it's, it's confusing. And then I really don't understand how one one has uh, pitch hitters and the other one doesn't. Just make the rules the same, man. Baseball is the most nitpicky sport ever. I used to hate the designated hitter until the Astros moved to the American League, and now I'm like, why wouldn't we all have designated hitters? It makes the game so much more exciting when there's a ninth bat that can actually go up and hit the ball. Oh, I love designated hitter spot. I yeah. wish it was the whole thing. I don't understand why... I mean, it makes guys who weigh, like, 400 pounds, like, still relevant. <laughs> and it makes it to where you don't have to have a guy go up there and either strike out or butt. Yeah, it's like, oh, we have to, like, I mean, what, with the DH, you can maybe not pitch like your, or not make your pitcher hit, right? Yeah, Something but like then that. he's out of the game if you pinch hit oh. for him. Ah, so the designated hitters just, they don't play a position, they just hit, right? Correct. And you just put them in a lineup, but you still got to play the rest of your lineup. Yes. So instead okay. of the pitcher hitting the designated So it adds hits. an extra person to the count, essentially. Yes. Okay. That actually, um, that's what I thought. I I like no baseball rules, but then I, I don't know all of them. But I can watch a game and know what's going on. I just usually fall asleep, unless it's like a... 30 inning game actually i fell asleep in that game too man that was exciting so at the end of the season 
the goat was sent to uh, the Astros and the Cubs were playing each other at the end of the season, and the cu- the goat was sent to Houston to try to reverse the curse. What the hell, man? All these years of them not sending the goat to any like away series, and they're finally like, yeah, he can go on an away trip, and it just so happens I, to be a bit against Houston. And I remember the end of that series too, and the Astros just got smashed. Well, uh, spoiler alert, but. I feel like Houston was the furthest destination of all those other ones, too. Uh, no, not quite, because San Francisco and San Diego have to be farther away from Chicago than Houston. Oh, yeah, I forget about the whole time zone. Atlanta Atlanta, away. and Houston, that's got to be pretty similar to each other, but the other two were pretty far away. Uh, the ca- I, I guess they learned their, their lesson, you know, 10 times a charm. Just like George W. said, fool me once, shame on me. Fool me twice, shame on you. Fool me three times, and we won't be shamed again. Uh, you got close. I, I don't remember the exact quote. I think that was pretty close. But I, he, he went like, oh, yeah, whatever. So the Cubs would go on to beat Houston and win that uh, their first division title in 14 years. The Cubs then beat the Braves, winning their first postseason series in almost 100 years. So that set them up for a match against the Marlins in the National League uh, Championship. The Cubbies took a quick three-game lead in the series and were one game away from going to the World Series. It seemed like nothing could possibly stop them. Ooh, ooh, I know what's going to happen. They don't take the GOAT to Miami. No, something far, far more strange. The GOAT dies. Oh, that would be sad. So the Marlins won game four of that series, but it wasn't really a big deal because in baseball it's it's kind of hard to sweep teams. Like it's usually there usually is a fifth game, even if there was almost a sweep. So not a shocker that they lost the fourth game. Uh, so the Marlins then uh, won game five, and that started to put a little more stress on the Cubs. But there wasn't really a need to panic because Mark Pryor was set up to pitch game six. Now, I know you're not a baseball fan, so you don't probably don't remember Mark Pryor, but Mark Pryor had a deadly fastball, and he was an awesome pitcher at the early stages of his career. And this was only his second year in the league, so he was still very dominant when this series took place. Is he that guy that starred in a bunch of movies with Gene Wilder? <laughs> no. He's that guy that started a bunch of Chicago Cubs games with uh, Kerry Wood starting the night before him. Uh, so, so anyway, well, I I will say baseball is like one of those sports where like you you can't you know you can't get a good pitcher for every night, so you basically intentionally build your team knowing you're gonna lose specific games, but then knowing and hoping you win other games. It's a very weird sport because it's strategy of losing specific games. If that makes sense. Which I think I'm not making. I'm not sounding too stupid, am I? No, I mean in the playoffs, it's more of like a you have a higher chance of winning based on who's amount. I, I wouldn't say you set up to lose. Like, you know, the Astros well, game seven last year with Charlie Morton starting wasn't exactly ideal, but the way Morton had been pitching, you knew there was still a chance they could win. Well, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, you have those games when you're at the end of the cycle and you don't quite have like the, the, the lead up guy that can, you know, play the whole game, so you're cycling like what three or four pitchers. Yeah, to just so you make gotta, it through to the next play, night. You got to do everything else right to win those types of games. Yeah, but you have other nights when you know you're going to play your ace. You know, at least 
seven innings yeah. or eight innings. True, and this was one of those nights for the Cubs. So the Cubs played a very solid game through eight innings and um, are entered the uh, through seven innings and entered the top of the eighth up three to nothing. That's when the course of history was changed by a 26-year-old suburban consulting firm desk jockey. All Steve Bartman wanted to do was be a part of the biggest celebration Chicago had seen. Uh, <laughs> it had been 95 years since the Cubs had won a World Series, and with each inning, they were inching closer and closer to making an appearance. Mark Pryor had shown absolutely no signs of slowing down in the game prior to this inning. Uh, through those seven innings, he allowed only three hits and had struck out six. Pryor got the first batter of the eighth out on a flyout. Next, Juan Pierre, classic flat build sideways hat guy, hit a one-out double, and that was the first extra base hit of the game for the Marlins. So they hadn't even gotten any more than a single in this game so far. That's impressive for, for that big of a game. Uh, Luis Castillo stepped into the box next and quickly fell behind the count one one to two. So one ball, two strikes. He eventually worked the count back to full. Pryor's next pitch, which was his 113th pitch, lives in baseball infamy. Castillo caught most of the ball, but it was heading foul down the left field line. Now, most people that watch baseball will recognize that catching this foul in the field of play is a difficult play, but Moises Alou got a perfect jump on the ball and got to the wall with plenty of time to plant his legs and prepare to leap to get the foul. As he left his feet and put his glove up above the line of the wall, his glove collided with the arms of, of Bartman. It was clear that Bartman had extended well into the field of play to try to catch the ball. Alou had a very famous freakout. Once he landed to the ground, he slammed his glove into his leg and began to shout at Bartman, who looked like he desperately wanted to be anywhere else. Oh, man. I uh, I recently watched, like, uh, I mean, I recently, like, last year, I watched clips of that. That dude looked like he just wanted to curl up into a ball and, like, not exist anymore. I feel so bad for him. When you said his name, I literally cringed, and I think I vocalized that cringe because I... I I feel so uncomfortable every time that situation's brought up for him. I, I mean, he messed up, but how many other people would have done the same thing? Yeah, it's it's so many. There's so many things you, when you, I think you of get that. lost. You get lost in the moment. Um, I, exactly. And, it and, and, and oh, you forget it hurts. To it. I mean, but I think here's another thing going off topic. Do you think that call is what led to them being overzealous? I mean, even though it was so many years later with the Astros call. Um, That's a good the, what was that? point. Because that guy was not Bartmaning at all. This was so different, though, because of the angle that Bartman had to reach for the ball. Like, the ball oh, wasn't going to touch him. He leaned out into the field to try to get that. So he, he, yeah, he different. reached down below the yellow line i mean it was a knucklehead thing to do but at the end of the day i feel so awful for him and i didn't when i was a kid but let me explain this like as i got older and you know as i i just imagined like what if that had been me at an astros game and they were going to the world series and that same thing happened to me like it's soul crushing because this is like a team that you've loved your whole life like you know as a kid all the way to an adult like 
like 20 years. He loved the Cubs, and then he became like the biggest enemy for the fan base of his own team. And I just like I can't imagine something sadder than that. I I I can't imagine how conflicted you feel. Like you at that point, you can no longer go to games. I'm pretty sure he was wasn't even banned. I don't think he was officially banned, but you can show up because he get his ass kicked. Yeah, no, like people knew who he was. That made it even worse. I can't imagine one decision. Probably makes it hard to even function in your regular life. Like, I bet you he'd be like in meetings or meeting clients and stuff, and people would be like, "Hey, you're the Bartman guy." He probably lost like business. Oh yeah, no, I've I've I didn't put a lot of it in here, but I've read that things went terribly wrong for him for a while after that. Like, it ended up ending well because when they won the World Series in 2016, they actually gave him a ring and brought him out on the field and like you know buried the hatchet about that and i think now he can go to games and be all right and everything but he had a horrible like 13 years i i i know it sounds like a like a stupid thing but i feel like as a team they should have got ahead of that way before they actually ever did like they should have even if it wasn't that season like a couple of seasons later should have been like hey please stop harassing this guy he's a fan like He's not a player. He messed up. But, like, the fact that they just let it continue for however long it was is is absurd. Oh, I agree. They definitely... In my, in my opinion, like, at that point, a team should step in when someone's being physically harassed and be like, dude, like, it's it's a game. Like, we're not happy about it. I do kind of remember them saying something about it at some point, but it was very half-assed. Like, it wasn't a big spectacle to get people to know it was all right. Like, they didn't bring him back to the stadium or anything. They were just like, hey, you should probably leave that guy alone. But it, like, did no good. So Pryor's next pitch went wild and got, got past Paul Bacco, uh, the Cubs catcher. That set up the Marlins with runners on the corner and one out. Um, so the crowd was getting riotous over in the left field and was fully focused on Steve Bartman. The next batter got a single to make it a two-run game, and the batter after that uh, was able to get a hit and tie the game. So we're 3-3 three to three now after, after the Bartman incident. Man, I go off topic again. What would you do if you were sitting in that section within i don't know like a row of that guy would you even like completely tone out of the game and just glare at this dude yes yes i wouldn't be able to focus on the game i would totally be watching him and i would be feeling sorry for him i would i would feel simultaneously sorry for him and then like this deep rage like boiling inside me just like straight up dennis reynolds I would um, like to think that we're good like fans screaming. of our teams, but at the end of the day, we would understand that situation. So here's the thing is we understand it now, or we understand it because we're disconnected from it. If like I I can I, I can honestly say I felt a simultaneous rage and, and sadness um, because of last year with the – I know a different sport, and it was actually a player that did it, but when Marcus Williams missed that tackle – against the Vikings, I felt so bad for him. And at the same time, like, I was, I punched a wall. Like, it, it, it like, I was super conflicted because, you know, I don't want to hate on the guy because he gave his heart and soul, but 
this is different. This is just some asshole who reaches into the stands. I was stands, gonna say so it's I don't know different because feel. that's a player. Like this is yeah. a fan. Like in the Astros incident a couple of weeks ago, I never once was mad at those fans for interfering with that. I, although I, don't, I didn't believe that they interfered with it at all. Still, at the end of the day, like I don't blame them because you. You know, your hand does some stuff that you don't necessarily mean to do in those kind of situations, like whether it's blocking the ball or just like like mentally just going to catch it. Like things happen. You have to sympathize that you'd get so caught up in the moment. You'd be like, oh, a ball's coming at me. Like in their situation, the ball literally came at them and they just caught it. Like this dude like punch, punched a baby to get to the ball, essentially. Like he pushed, he... It went across people. True, yeah, it was a little more aggressive. So the the hit that tied the game three to three actually went through the Chicago Cubs shortstop uh, through his legs, just like what had happened in 1984. That see stuff like that though, you can't blame. You could, I guess, you could blame a momentum swing on one person, but you know, I that's like you should learn that from like coach pitch how he's to the perfect the ball. he's the perfect scapegoat yeah no like that's not blame no the professional athlete let's blame this dude who looks like he would maybe like make a list and like murder some people when the cubs finally got the third out of the eighth inning the score was eight to three the marlins whoa would, yeah they whoa i i didn't realize it was that bad i thought it went like, I thought it was like five. I didn't realize it was eight. No, they crumbled after that happened. Oh, that that's not one guy. That's 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 other stuff. Um, eventually, uh, of course, the Marlins would win that game to force the game seven, and the Cubs would go on to lose game seven, and the Marlins would go on to win the World Series that year. Uh, the Cubs fell back into the shadows of the Major League, but 2015... Uh, and 2015 was the only other year that you could bring up the curse. Uh, the Mets beat them in the National League Championship behind the bat of one Daniel Murphy. He played for the Mets, and he dominated them that series, and his last name happened to be Murphy, just like the goat. Oh, boy. Murphy's Law. And, of course, as we know, the I- curse ended in 2016 with the Chicago Cubs first world series win in over a hundred years i'm i'm really glad you've explained all these things to me it's like baseball for dummies but at the end of the day um you would say that's probably the one of the most famous sports curses of all maybe the great game uh bambino is like up there tied with it but the goat the curse of the billy goat has some really wacky things that went into it I think the thing about it that's um, entertaining is how absurd it is. And I feel like now, with the way viral marketing works, whatever team that happened to would completely jump on the goat wagon. They would even let them on the field. You know, in, you know, like, I'm, I'm not talking to my ass on this. Like, somebody would go all in on it. Exactly. Like, it amazes me that the Cubs never thought about buying into it. But they were, like, so against recognizing the idea of that curse that they actually probably made it worse as time went on. Like whether or not it's a curse or not, you got to play, you know, you, you got to play it out. If they would have done that and brought him to the games and I'm pretty sure some teams have done that recently, not with like a live live livestock animal, but um with like fans and stuff. So, 
Um, needless to say, baseball, like I said, is a sport of superstition. And baseball players all over the world are superstitious. And that's going to bring us in to the second curse we're going to talk about. Oh, man, I'm excited. I, uh, I, I was like, man, this is a short one. He said he took all kinds of notes. And then now, now, now you, you got me in a two-parter. So baseball made its way to Japan in 1872 with the help oh, I'm, of I'm Professor Horace Wilson. He was brought over to help modernize the Japanese education system. He began teaching English at Kaizai Gaku, which would lead the way for Tokyo University. So it's like the precursor to Tokyo University. While U- he, UT. T- T- the real U- UT or TU. The real TU. Uh, while he was teaching, he recognized that the students needed a little more physical activity in their curriculum. He began to teach his students baseball, and other teachers living in Japan followed suit. The game's popularity grew with adults once the first professional team uh, was organized, and that team was the Shinbashi Athletic Club Athletics. (laughs) Uh, Could they have thrown the word athletics in there a couple more times? The Shinbashi Athletic Club Athletics of Athletic Competition. You know, it's funny, though, when you think about professional sports in, in Japan, at least on the university level, because that is a country that's known for like people literally dropping dead at work from from working too hard so to think they would take time out of their studies to play sports is still kind of mind-boggling well, as we learned in the slam ball episode china's got pro, like collegiate slam ball so anything could happen yeah but china and japan are very different like culturally true japan's very much on the 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 honor uh, system. Japan's also way more modern now, but back then, oh, yeah. not so much. So Japanese immigrants coming to the United States were not allowed to play baseball in the majors, even though a lot of them were very talented because they had been playing the game their whole lives. What year is this? Uh, this is after 1872, so I'd say early 1900s. Oh, okay. I didn't realize we went back in time. I was still thinking like in the... Uh, 40s, which I could see why we didn't like Japanese people in the 40s. So, so true. Um, so they created their own leagues. Uh, while these leagues were very similar to the Negro leagues, uh, fewer records actually exist about them. So where like the Negro leagues in baseball kept great stats, we know a lot of the really good players. Uh, there were two different Japanese leagues, and we really don't know a whole bunch about them. There is one thing I'll point out, and I didn't put it in here, but I kind of wish I did. Uh, There was actually a moment where these leagues carried over into the uh, internment camps in the the 40s. So they were playing baseball at the camps in a couple of places. Like professional players were playing at the camps as like a form of entertainment. I honestly don't think I ever heard of like the Japanese leagues. Like you said, there's so much like emphasis put on the the Negro leagues, but no one ever talks about... um, Japanese. I I don't think I'd ever heard of that. And I'll, um, I I never like heard of it. It was, so. It was only Japanese people on it. Yes. I I just that makes no sense during that time period because I just felt like they. I'm I'm like I'm I'm talking about the culture at the time. I felt like they theoretically could have blended in more. Uh, racism was strong. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, but they were a matching Pantone color at least. 
That did not matter. Uh, back over in Japan, baseball continued to grow at a very steady pace. In 1934, Matsutaro Shiriki founded the Dai Nippon Tokyo Yaku, I guess, Karabo, or the Great Japan Tokyo Baseball Club. I I, uh, I bet you're regretting trying to pronounce all these. I, I can names. get a couple of them. The Yaku, that one was a little rough. But anyway, it stood for the Great Japan Tokyo Baseball Club. Uh, the team toured with the United States baseball team here in the United States. And upon its return, they changed their name to the Tokyo Giants. And later they became known as the Yamayuri, uh, Yamayuri Giants. Um, I think we talked about this in one of the other episodes. But I really love when like Japanese teams have the most like Japanese city name and then throw in like a super American name afterwards. It, it like cracks me up because it, it sounds so goofy. Oh, it's pretty clear that they got that idea from when they toured the United States. Like, yeah. they're like, ooh, the Great Japan but Tokyo Baseball Club sounds lame. We need to give it like a creative name like the Giants. So now we're the Yamayuri Giants. Uh, the team joined and helped start the Japanese Baseball League. In 1949, the JBL became the Nippon Professional Baseball League, which is the name that it's under today, so the NPB. The league started with eight teams, and one of those teams was the Hanshin Tigers. No, just Tigers, not any other like combination of animals? Mm-hmm. The Hanshin Tigers. Hanshin had a good but not great team. Over the first 35 years, they finished second 12 times and watched their rivals, the Yamiuri Giants, win 16 times. You can kind of think of them as a sort of Japanese version of the Red Sox. In 1985, they finally broke through behind the bat of MVP Randy Bass, former big leaguer and current Oklahoma State Senator. The team finished 74-49, and and faced the Seibu Lions in the Japan in the Japan series. That was the name of their World Series, the Japan series. Now, even though the Tigers had not had much success in terms of championships, the city of Hanshin was wild about baseball. The gates of their stadium would open before noon because fans would camp out the night before to get the best seats in the house. Have you ever heard of a of a ticket? Because those people definitely should have just been able to buy tickets to seats. I don't know why they had to camp out to buy to buy seats or to to get their seats. Uh, well, you know, um, one that like pre-internet days or something. You know, back when you had to wait in lines. Now, if you wait in a line to get tickets, you're not gonna get tickets, even if you're the first person in line. It's absurd. But I. I I don't know. Maybe they were like old school with it because they're like, oh, we're not gonna put a lot of effort, so you just gotta camp out. Plus, those cultures are very different. It's not like America. I guess. I mean, I still would rather just own a ticket. Well, you know, there's a lot of people that like to own a lot of things that they're not allowed to have. Anyway, the Tigers clinched the series in Game Six, and the fans went wild. And I'm not just talking about a little wild. So, in Osaka, where Hanshin is, they have this tradition of anytime they do something good in sports, they all go to this bridge, and they like form a mob on the bridge. And so this is what happened. 
Well, is, we're getting this there. This seems unsafe, So they form you know. a mob on the Ebu Sabashi Bridge. And I know I messed it up, but just know that it's a bridge in Osaka. And they continued their long-standing tradition of chanting each player's name, finding someone in the crowd that looked like the player, and having them jump into the water below. Whoa, they're, they're making people, like, in front of everybody else's jump off a bridge? Like, is this a big bridge over, a, like, a, a river or a lake? Like, it's I'm, a good-sized bridge over a, a river. This just seems not safe at all. So they would go around, look at the crowd, find the guy that looked the most like whichever baseball player's name they were chanting, and then have them jump off the bridge. Hey, so here here goes back to the age-old question. If... If your friend jumped off a bridge, would you follow them? Only if my baseball team won the championship. <laughs> um, so, everything was going exactly to plan of the tradition until the chant got to Randy Bass. They had a small problem. Not one person in the crowd looked like him, a white American guy with a beard. Um, instead of just moving past that... The crowd decided to cook up a brilliant plan that would keep the tradition alive. Part of the mob went to find someone or something that they could throw off the bridge that would pass as bad. <laughs> someone or something they could throw <laughs> off the bridge. Like I imagine them just finding a like this like tourist who's walking around like, oh look, this is cool, and then just grabbing him like, and he has no idea what's going on. Like, hey, there's like, an angry mob. Five dudes to just me. grab him and throw him off a bridge, and he's just like freaking out the entire time eventually they found a statue of colonel sanders outside of a nearby chaos kfc <laughs> so the kfc's have statues there yes oh it's, man so since sanders kind of had a goatee and bass had a beard they were both white americans you know you can piece it so, together so did sanders look like a 60 something year old like Yes, uh, he was basically, like, it's an age-old racism of they all look the same. They saw a white guy and were like, he'll pass. <laughs> so uh, the crowd picked up the statue because it wasn't bolted down or anything. It dressed it in a tiger's jersey. Uh, they then carried it to the bridge and tossed him in the river below. Oh they didn't God. know it at the time, but they had just started the curse of the colonel. Oh, you don't want to piss off the colonel, man. He'll he'll throw his you know his uh, recipe of seasonings at you and just blind you with 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 his science. I I don't know how the hell a Colonel Sanders curse feud whatever starts in freaking Japan. This is like killing me that like it all goes back to an American fast food chain. Correct. It's pretty ridiculous. Also, I can't imagine this dude looked anything like Colonel Sanders. Um, he was a big, burly white guy with a beard. Like, I looked for a picture of him, I found it, and I it was like, don't he looked see like Colonel Evan Sanders. Gattis, whatever his name is. Yeah, that's actually a fine comparison. I could accept that. Like, I do declare this statue is finger licking good to throw over the bridge. I don't know. So the 1986 season was uh, disappointing. Hanshin finished 60 and 60. In 1987 was even worse. The team finished in dead last and fans began trying to piece together what exactly had went wrong for their upstart team. Hey, you That's know you know that time that we destroyed public property? 
Oh, yeah, I know that one time. Or that private property. Yeah, I remember that time. Yeah, it was pretty fun. We threw a statue over a bridge, you know? That was that was that was neat. Uh, oh, there's a statue of uh, the colonel. Oh, cool. Why is there a colonel statue in Japan? Uh. It can't be because our team like traded off good players, and it can't be because other teams got better. But you know what? It could be. You remember that time that we put, got all drunk on sake and put a jersey on a statue and tossed it into a river? Yeah, yeah that's probably what's, it. What's what's the fine for you know throwing a, a statue over a bridge? Is it five hundred dollar? It's a losing baseball season. <laughs> uh, the team. Let's see. They've tried to piece together what wrong. That's when stories of Colonel Sanders mad at how his statue was desecrated cursed the team. What year is so, this? 1986. Was the Colonel even alive? No, no, he wasn't. They just made up a superstition, <laughs> like a story that he was pissed that they threw his statue in the water and he cursed the team. I'm not even convinced the Colonel was ever a real person. He's a character. So, Like David Thomas, turn- he's not real. <laughs> You mean Daniel? Was it Daniel Thomas or David Thomas? It's David Thomas. Anyway, fans tried to fix the curse by apologizing to the store manager and searching the bottom of the river. <laughs> that specific store man. I feel like you're way past the point of apologizing to the store manager. Like this they, is two years later. Can yeah. you imagine walking into that KFC two years later and be like, "We're sorry." There's no way it's the same people. In the entire two years, you could probably. Well, I don't know if it's the same over there, but. In America, you could walk into a, a restaurant a week later and, like, there's three people that were working the previous week. Everybody else is new because that's, like, they, they, no one makes a career out of working in fast food. It's full of, like, high school kids and people who just gave up on life. So nothing they could do fixed could fix the slide of the Tigers. Over the next 18 years, the team posted one winning season. In 18 four- years? Yes, at 18 years. For sliding after the colonel? the championship. Yes. You don't go against the colonel, man. I'd hate to see what happened if they, you know, defaced Popeyes. Or Ronald McDonald. Yeah. Well, McDonald's, they just would have all been, like, murdered on the spot. They would have spontaneously combusted. He oh, would have popped what if out they of the... What if they tossed a statue of Walt Disney in there from Whoa. Tokyo, Japan? Um, they would disappear. The whole mob would disappear and end up somehow working in Disneyland Paris. Yeah, well, or that, or they would just end up in the small world exhibit. Labor camps in Valhalla. <laughs> Valhalla? Valhalla. Their fortunes turned in 2003 when Hideki Matsui, playing for Yamiuri at the time, was signed by the Yankees. Man, I love Matsui. He was I, awesome. I didn't realize, this is going to sound ignorant, but I didn't realize he was like, I knew he was Japanese, but I kind of figured he just kind of like... Are you about to say you thought he was probably like an American Japanese guy that just played baseball? No, I knew he didn't speak. Like, there's there's a handful of those like Japanese or Chinese guys that like you hear them talk and it's like, yeah, this guy is not from here kind of situation. It's like, but I um, I guess I just didn't think about it. I thought he was like, I guess I didn't think about them having their own pro league. I thought he just kind of like was good at baseball. At like Somebody some level, and then and then tr- and then someone saw him, or he tried out, and and made 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 the team. I didn't think about him being like an all star and in the the J. NPB. 
What was it? Uh, the N... NPB? What does that is stand that right? for? <sighs> Hold on. Wait, I thought it would have been like Japanese professional baseball. No, we, we discussed this. They changed the name of it. To... It was... Sorry, I have to go back through my notes. I use old paper notes like a chimp. Uh... It was the Nippon Professional Baseball, oh. MPB. So he came from the Nikon League. That's fun. Uh, so strong pitching. Let me get that organized. Okay. Strong pitching and that piece of good fortune, the Hideki Matsui trade, helped the Tigers return to the Japan Series. When the team clinched the series' berth, KFCs all over Osaka brought their Colonel Sanders statues and decorations inside. This time, the, tra the tradition continued, but no statues were harmed. Uh, <laughs> however, no statues there was, were harmed. Also, why does every freaking KFC have a freaking statue? I don't know. I have never be. seen a statue at let a KFC. The colonel, let the colonel's freak flag fly. Uh, I guess. So, while there were no statues hurt, there was an ad to that other tragedy that struck during this uh, celebration. Uh -oh. A 24-year-old fan was shoved into the river and drowned. That's fun. Yeah, during this, this one. So, we've got one statue that died and one person that who, died. Who would have thought that at some point when you're randomly throwing people into the river, that there'd be that one guy who, who just can't swim? So this led to uh, construction of a new bridge that made it harder for people to jump into the river off of. Well, why didn't they just make the railing slightly higher on the pre-existing bridge? <laughs> I don't know. Let them live. It seems like a Japanese thing. Like, oh no, we have a minor flaw with this one bridge. What are we going to do? Build a new one! <laughs> uh, the Tigers would go on to lose the series in seven games. And people believe the curse was still very much alive. And now deadly. Well, yeah, the curse of murdering people by throwing them off of a bridge. So fans kicked up the theory that the curse could be lifted if the statue was ever recovered. Oh, For years, this, fans, this sounds even worse. Reality shows and adventure seekers dove and searched the mud of the Dotonbori River looking for the statue to lift the curse. In 2009, divers finally recovered the Colonel Sanders statue. Did uh, James Cameron use his famous like subs and underwater technology God, to help them find it? That would be so it? great. He's like, I'm the guy that found the Titanic, and now I'm going to find the Colonel. Well, did, is he the guy who credited with finding the Titanic? I think he... I, I know, I, I know he put reason, a lot okay, of For money. some reason, I, rem I don't know why I remember this, but I remember not too long ago reading that he is actually the reason why they found the titanic I know he like put, he funded all the expeditions to keep looking for it and like he never gave up yeah i knew he put a lot of money into it but maybe he was just trying to like film for avatar the movie <laughs> that they acted like there was going to be other ones coming out of but yet they haven't like released anything new in like 10 years avatar under the sea pocahontas water edition so the divers extracted him, and he was mostly intact, except for his hands and his glasses. Wait, what happened to his hands? And why I'm were his sorry, glasses not, like, one built into the one statue? Glasses. One huh? hand and one glasses, please. <laughs> but, like, his glasses should have been basically, like, carved into his face. How do you lose the glasses of a statue? 
Yeah, yeah. Let him live, man. Well, they didn't let him live by sacrificing him to the river gods. So the Tigers uh, began a slow turnaround, uh, and they but they lost the 2014 Japanese series. But they started to finish in second place a handful of times. As for the statue, the hand and glasses were replaced, and the statue is now bolted down, keyword bolted down, at the KFC nearest the stadium. I still don't understand why all their KFCs have statues of some crazy, like, southern gentleman who's peddling his freaking chicken. I don't know. Let him live. I'm just going to say that every time you ask questions about I just don't get, like, I don't know. Whatever. Does every fast food chain have a statue? Is there, like, Grimace statues all over the place? Hamburglers? Ronnie McDonnie? Like, are these statues littered all over this countryside? Is is there a giant Taco Bell statue? Oh, man. Maybe they put a a taco that poops ice cream out in front of Taco Bell. Ooh. I'm okay with that. That's the most sensical thing you've said this entire time. So the new theory is that the curse will not be lifted until the original statue is back in its entirety. People began to look for the hand and glasses at the bottom of the river but have not had luck. Only time will tell if they are right or wrong. The amount of resources dedicated to... It's a river, dude! That stuff's in the ocean by now! That's like a hand isn't just gonna sink to the bottom of the river, especially if it's like it's gonna be flowing. Like it sounds like these statues were like made of a plastic too, because of how easily they're like moved well, around. I mean, to be fair, it's yeah. So a they pick up the statue. I'm imagining it being some kind of plaster, but like probably hollow, because if that thing, a thing thrown into the the river. Probably if it's if it's not super solid, would get damaged on impact because of um, you know the height, depending on how high the river is. But people weren't dying from jumping in it unless they couldn't swim. I the whole whatever. I don't understand how you could have something sitting in the bottom of a river for two years and think you can go and recover it because it's not going to be there. It's either going to be hidden under like silt and stuff or in the ocean. Well, they found him, and you should be thankful because they did find they got him? the colonel back. No, they got the colonel back. They just don't have his hand in glasses. But well, the working on it. main statue's the heaviest part. Like, but a hand's gonna probably float. So anyway, the last thing I wanted to say while we're talking about Japanese baseball, and maybe one day we'll do a whole like history of this the league. But my favorite thing I learned while doing this was that they call their playoff the climax series. Um. I love that. So the uh, Japan series is the World Series, but the series before that is the Climax series. So like the essentially the the play-in game to get to that is the Championship series is basically called the Climax series. I feel like if anything the like World Series should be Also, can they have a World Series and we have a World Series? Like how does that no, work? No, that's why they have a Japan series. Oh. Um but which is their equivalent? Well, Climax series, that just sounds gross. It makes me feel dirty. So, anyway, I want to finish up our Halloween. Hey, is that or... the way of saying they're turning Japanese? I really think so. <laughs> uh, anyway, I want to finish up our show today, our post-Halloween special for the great holiday after yes, Halloween. Yes, because this was totally about Halloween-related stuff. 
Well, would you let me get there? No. The Major League also has um, another thing that, that has been recently has gotten some more coverage. But there's actually a haunted hotel in Milwaukee. Ooh. Milwaukee. So up the story. You know, Milwaukee's today. Algonquin for the, the good land. Well, the good land's got a haunted hotel. So I want to finish up today with uh, some ghost stories from the Fister Hotel in Milwaukee. Did you say Fister? Fister, yes. No comment. Yeah, I hardly know her. <laughs> oh, boy. So the Fister opened in 1893. It was the most lavish hotel of the time and cost about $1 million to build. It featured, and these were big features back in the day, it featured fireproofing, electricity, and individual thermostats. Man, I can't imagine being in a hotel with like a one central thermostat, and it's like the thermostat's in the completely like different part of the hotel that doesn't get direct sunlight from like outside the whole day. So it's like, oh yeah, it's like 65 degrees in the lobby, and your room's like 80, and you're like, I'm dying. A quick quick skit about that. Family walks in, husband's walking around the room, mom's talking to the kids, going, Oh, did you see the wonderful restaurant downstairs and the wonderful bar? And the husband's walking around, he goes, Oh my god, the hotel won't burn down and we won't die. And it has electricity and oh my god, I can control the room temperature. <laughs> Thermostat. What year is this again? Eighteen ninety three. That's actually really impressive. They had AC in 1893. Thank you. I was wondering when you were going to notice. Yeah, no, that's... No electricity. Yeah. And, yeah individual thermostat. Having electricity in, like, a large public setting is kind of impressive. That was usually, like, for, for rich folks' houses. Well, this was a rich folk hotel. Uh, so during the 1950s, the hotel had begun to show its age. It was eventually bought by a movie theater owner named Ben Marcus in 1962. He restored the hotel to its original beauty and added a new 23-story tower. Some of the biggest names in baseball have stayed there on road trips to play the Milwaukee Brewers, and several of them have claimed that the old town, uh, the old hotel in Milwaukee has given them the heebie-jeebies. They well, I would have the heebie-jeebies, too, if someone built on 23 floors to a already old hotel. Because that's what so it sounded like you said. Yeah, yeah, they added another tower. Oh, like so, on top of the pre-existing structure, or is this a new no, structure? No, I think it's a. I think it was a new okay. structure, from what I understood. Um, apprehension repealed. So, der, um... Just this year, a group of Cardinals players experienced some creepy events. Carlos Martinez and Marcel, Marcel Ozuna both said that they saw a free-floating, full-torso appar apparition in their rooms. They both headed to Francisco Pena's room because they were that afraid. <laughs> why Why his room, though? Like, is he, like, their cuddle buddy? I'm, I'm confused. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why they went to, to his room. Hey, you're the guy who's the ghost, man! And he's like, get out of my room, weirdos. Please leave me alone, like, Carlos, not now. Please let me cuddle with you. I want to sleep in your bed. The monsters are going to get to me, papa. 
So Tommy Pham and some of the his name's Tommy Pham. If you don't know him, he's an outfielder. Is he the the Pham of the opera? <laughs> and some of the coaches also made their way into the safety of Pena's room. Why did they all go night? to this one dude's room? Like <laughs> I don't know. That's why I included I, this I'm story. A, I'm imagining the whole team got freaked out and went to this dude's room. I'm imagining this dude with one of those like I forget what show it was, like some like ten foot wide bed, and there's just like. 14 like baseball players in like full uniform and caps like with the covers up to like their their shoulders just like shaking so martinez posted a video on instagram that night saying we are all here wait did, what are... year is this i thought we were still talking about 2018 like, the... no i just said just this year at the beginning oh of this. i thought this we were still talking about like year. the 1800s and i'm like wow they had instagram back then no no this was like several months ago uh this is makes anyway. it even weirder so he posted a video on Instagram saying, We are all here. We are all in Pineta's room. That was the nickname for him. Pen- we are Pineta, stuck here. Uh, at least they didn't call him uh, Penino. Uh, we are stuck here. We are going to sleep together. If the ghost shows again, we are all going to fight it together. <laughs> Ooh, I ain't afraid of no ghosts. How are they going to fight a full apparition body ghost? A spooky, a spooky ghost. I, well, you know. They could have charged premium, though. They could start start their own Ghostbusters, because, you know, that's what the first ghost they fought was a full-body apparition. So, that's what Slimer was. So, you know, I think, no, that's what the librarian was. So, all they got to do is get some gooey library cards, sneak up on them, and uh, shoot them with the, the, uh, the backpack gun. With the ass blaster. Yeah, you know, just wrap a nuclear... You know, reactor to your back, and let's let's go to town. Speaking of all these ghosts, must have me on edge because the cat jumped up behind me and scared the crap out of me. Um, Stupid I did cat. I tell you about the time I I seen a ghost? Go ahead. I've seen two ghosts. So you know, our high school had the what the lady in red or whatever it was. At TM, uh, that just sounded like a legend. Yeah, I know, but I'm I since. My mom worked there. I spent some time late at night, and because she's a psycho and works weird hours. But I think we had to run up for something. Anyway, I was walking through the halls, and I could have swore I saw like the tail of some type of dress. But I also, um, I also spent the night when I was in the scouts. We did a camp, uh, overnight camp on the Lexington, the USS Lexington, which for for people who aren't familiar with. Uh, Corpus Christi or World War Two history, uh, the Blue Ghost was what they they thought it had sunk. Uh, the Japanese did right, and then when and then they saw it a little bit later, and it hadn't sunk. So whatever. There's supposedly a ghost on there, and I saw. A, I'm pretty sure I saw some type of apparition-looking thing in the middle of the night. But, you know, I might have just been hyped up on sugar, and we watched The Rocketeer, and we went to bed, and I was walking to the bathroom, which was nowhere near where we were staying, and I had to walk by the concession stand to uh, to get there, and I'm pretty sure I saw some kind of, like, ghost thing. They also spent all day talking about ghosts, so it might have been in my head, but I feel like I saw... If, if I saw a ghost, that is a situation I saw one in. Long story short, I believe in ghosts. So I can tell you 
I have a ghost story too while we're talking. Oh, about it. I, I'm pretty sure you told me this one. It's way better than mine. So, we were in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and we went to Jenny Wade's house. And now, if you don't know who Jenny Wade is, she's the only civilian that was killed. Wait, Jesus. what was that second. sound, speaking of ghosts? That's a cat being obnoxious. God. We're going to have to edit this real quick. She won't go away. Anyway, so Jenny Wade was the only civilian killed in, uh, in Gettysburg. And so we went to her house because it's a museum now. And we got there around 4.30 and they closed at 5. And so we went in with the tour guide. He started doing his spiel. It was just me and my dad. We were the only two on the tour because nobody else had showed up that late. And so he started giving him us this spiel uh, to the two of us. And we asked him, like, a bunch of stuff about just, like, walking around, like, if we could go upstairs and stuff. And he, he asked us, like, have you done the tour before? And we said, yeah, we've, we've done this tour before. And he goes, okay, well, if y'all don't mind, I'm going to go, like, check the books and the cash register and stuff. And y'all can just kind of walk yourselves around the house. And when you leave, let me know. So, like, sure, that works for us. And so we went upstairs and we looked around and we noticed that all the clocks upstairs and downstairs were all at the time of 8.30. That's going to be important later. So as we were walking back downstairs, um, I got dizzy on the stairs because of this really strong odor. And it was like the smell of roses, like fresh cut roses. I, like somebody took fresh cut roses and shoved them up my nose. Are you sure it wasn't your dad's farts? Oh man, if he's got farts like that. that well, you know, everybody same. thinks their farts smell like roses, so maybe his actually do. Reminds me of that SNL skit where the guy can flavor his farts. <laughs> so, anyway, um, I like called out to my dad. I was like, hey, do you smell that? And he goes, no, nah, I didn't smell anything. And it was so strong, like, there was no way he couldn't smell it. But he said he didn't smell anything. He swore to it. You so smelt we didn't it. Believe you dealt it. So obviously I dealt it. Uh, we left the house. We went and talked to the, the tour guide. And he was like, well, how'd it go? I was like, man, do y'all have something like plugged into the stairs? Like something with a scent, like a glade or something? Because it well, got a really strong odor. And his eyes just lit up. Like absolutely just lit. You could just tell that I had hit a nerve. And he goes, wait, what did you smell? That's freaky, so by the way. And like so, the yeah, fact that, that he that he face... teed off on it, because at that point this dude sounds like he doesn't give a shit. Like so he would mess with you, and uh, the fact that he reacted the way you say makes me concerned. So anyway, he, he, yeah, and he you could just tell like he knew something was up. He's like, "What'd you smell?" And I was like, "Man, it smelled like flowers, like a really strong floral scent." And he goes, would you say it was like roses? And I was like, yeah, that's what I told my dad. Smell like roses. And he goes, well, usually people that have smelled that often will either feel or sense or see um, the apparition of an older woman in the house. And we've attributed that to Jenny Wade's mother, who has also been seen at the house. So he's like, he's, he said, you know, right now you just smelled her, but there was a good chance that she was like in the area and you could have even seen her if you'd maybe like turned around. And so that freaked me out and we left and we decided that we were going to go do a little like, um, looking at the battlefields at night cause the battlefields close at 10 30. So you can, or 10. Do they and have so lights you can drive or... around them pretty much all evening. So, 
No, they don't have lights. It's like it's basically like a camping area. That you still have to like seems turn your lights on, but you can drive around in them. Well, it seems spooky just because you're like, and, you know, I'm in the yeah. middle of nowhere and I can't have any lights, so that makes you see stuff. So anyway, um, we were driving around and it got to be about 9:45, and my mom was with us on this thing, and I turned to her and I was like, "We need to get out of here because they're closing in 15 minutes." And my dad's like, "What are you talking about? We got plenty of time." And we're like, "Look at the clock up here." And he looks at the car clock and then looks down at his watch and does kind of like that comic, like keep looking back and forth at both of them. And I asked him what time his watch said, and he said Whoa. his watch had 8.30. There's, that's, that's too much of a coincidence and to be so like his watch battery dying at that exact same time. Yeah, it was weird. And so yeah, his anyway we had to buy him a new watch battery when we get we went to New York the next day we had to get a new watch battery and it had died right at eight thirty. It was creepy, man. That's when I was like, Okay, I believe in this stuff. That's freaky. That's way better than my story, but that's also because I'm a bad storyteller. So of course there's other stories other than the Carlos Martinez one too. Former Rangers infielder, um, uh, a former Rangers infielder, sorry, also had an interesting experience. He told uh, ESPN the magazine, listen, I'm not someone who uh, spreads ghost stories. So if you're telling, if I'm telling you this happened, it happened. It was Michael Young, by the way. Michael Young was the player for some reason. I didn't say that. A couple of years ago, I was lying in bed after a night game and I was out. My room was locked, but I heard these footsteps inside my room stomping around. I'd heard all these stories about this hotel, so I was wide awake at that point, and then I heard it again. Uh, so I yelled out, hey, make yourself at home, hang out, have a seat, but do not wake me up, okay? After that, I didn't hear a thing for the rest of the night. I just let him know he was welcome and that we could be pals, that he could even marinate in there for as long <laughs> as he marinate. needed to, just as long as he didn't wake me up. I know, what a great quote. Carlos Gomez, who now plays for the Brewers, so he doesn't actually have to stay in that hotel anymore. I think that was a wise career choice on his part. Heard voices in his room. He got scared and ran out of the room uh, in his underwear. So he got so scared he jetted out of his room in his underwear one night before he this played you, there. Wow, this guy straight up ran out of a hotel room in his undies. Yeah, when asked about the hotel, he said everything's scary. Everything in the hotel, the paintings and pictures, it's a lot of old crazy stuff. No good, man. No good. <laughs> like no good man like his yeah, no John, John Goodman. Yeah, John Goodman haunts the fister. Hardly know her. Uh, Bryce Harper, one of the most <laughs> famous baseball players in the league now, has a story as well. He laid his clothes out on a table in his room uh, in preparation for the next day. When he woke up, his clothes were scattered all over the floor and the table had been moved across the room. He still isn't sure what happened, and he tends to usually say he thinks maybe it was a prank, but uh, his room was locked, so I'm not really sure how that would have been a prank. I mean, maybe he sleepwalked. You don't know. And then, Rocky, finally, Rocky's player, John Gray, is a pitcher. Bought go or brought ghost hunting equipment with him to the hotel on a road trip. 
<laughs> I thought you were going to say goat hunting equipment. Full circle. I, like, was we're going full laugh. circle. He's been doing amateur ghost hunting for years, and he actually did um, a ghost hunt on the Fister one night while he was staying there. Nothing was found, so, you know, there's not any evidence that anything's going on there, but this is still believed to be the most haunted hotel in sports. Uh, well, that's fun. So, curses and ghosts. Such a Halloween treat. Oh, my. That's that's interesting. Like, I think part of that has to be attributed to, like, why do they keep using it as a team hotel or the team hotels? Like, you think they would be like, let's use a different one. But, like, I feel like it's got to be a psychological thing, which, I mean... It's it's the team that's booking it, right? It's not the the home team that's booking. I think so. I mean, most of the time, like you remember here in Houston, all of the like anybody that comes to play the Rockets all stayed in that like Crown Plaza hotel, that same hotel. So I don't know if it maybe it is the home team that books it, and they just like book a set of rooms for the whole year, like on schedule for what that is or what. But um, the hotel for Milwaukee has been the Fister and seems to remain the Fister. I mean, maybe it's more that it's just Milwaukee and that's what's available. I mean, it is pretty funny if it's the home team that books it. That's a clear way of getting home field advantage. Uh, yeah, we booked you at this, like, Roadway Inn. Like, oh, what's that? It's a one-star hotel that's like a like a pay-by-the-hour type situation. And there are some players that refuse to stay there. Like, there are a few... I was, as I was reading these stories, there's some players that will, like, get their own hotel rooms over staying at that hotel. I mean, they get paid enough money. I If I really didn't want to be somewhere, I would just go somewhere different. So, and there's a lot more get stories. Like These were just some of the current ones with big-name players that like you've heard of before, but there's a ton of stories. If you look up the Fister Hotel Major League, you're just going to find like a pile of good stories. It's crazy. Wait. They uh they use that movie in the or they use that in the movie Major League. Oh, that would have been so good. Major League Three Night at the Fister. Hardly never. Ah, uh, that sounds like a whole other movie. Anyway, so that's our uh, that's our Halloween special. You got any other thoughts on Japan curses, Cubs curses? Um, so I know I I referenced Sunny, but. I think this episode pretty much sums up what that episode, the most recent episode of It's Always Sunny did. That everything fans do matters for for the game. Because no matter whether or not it's true, there is this inherent belief that if I do something, I have to keep doing that. Like, I'm currently stuck in a superstitious trend. Um, I have worn the same shirt and uh shorts combo for every LSU game since they beat Georgia which i mean has only been two games but still i was wearing a certain thing and then we lost to Florida i changed it up and we've been winning so now i'm wearing this i'm wearing going to wear the same stuff tomorrow and like i inherently believe that this that 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 clothing choice has a certain amount of luck to it even though it has nothing to do with what's actually happening but like that's just my opinion so i uh it's a very interesting i'm right thing, there with you I guess. for redskins I, games i, I say like warren 
my Jonathan Allen jersey once this year and my Ryan Kerrigan one once this year, and those were both losses. But every time I've had the D'Angelo, my D'Angelo Hall jersey on, they've won. So I'm pretty much stuck to wearing my D'Angelo Hall jersey this year just because that's like, what I believe. I have some stuff I won't even, like, touch or wear during any like any of the games but like yeah i have a, a shirt a shirt i wear during the the saints games like i have i have habits down for like every one of the teams i like and i i say i'm not a superstitious person but i will bite on those hard because i i don't want to be the reason that team loses even though they have no idea what i'm wearing the worst i've ever been is in 2012 i had this beatles magical mystery tour shirt that I just so happened to wear, wear like the first few games of the season when RG3 was first starting out, and they actually won like those first couple of games, and I didn't even notice it until later on in the season because I stopped wearing it at a certain point. Like I said, this wasn't planned, but I stopped wearing it for a couple of weeks, and they started going on a losing streak, and so then I happened to be wearing it again uh, later on down the season, and they won. So I realized that that Beatles shirt was somehow lucky and it got to the point like even if I went out to watch the game with other people or Buffalo Wild Wings that was my undershirt for my jersey like I always had to have that shirt on no matter what that season my my favorite thing about that is the rationalization in your head that I that this one particular piece of clothing is the luck and not other stuff like I've talked to myself into being like I could wear this undershirt but I have to wear this overshirt and vice versa or like I have to wear this shirt, but it doesn't matter what shorts I wear kind of thing. Yeah, it was just that shirt. And it didn't matter if I wore something over it either. Just like it had to be touching my skin. As long as that shirt was on me, they had a good chance of winning. uh, And I retired it after that season because for some reason I rationalized that when they lost in the playoffs, the luck on the shirt had worn off, and I've never worn it on a game day again. So I had a shirt that I said was a lucky shirt. And then I wore it during a national championship game that um, I won't go into details about, but it didn't end well. I have yet to wear that shirt ever. It's cursed. Since the shirt's then. cursed. I won't. I won't touch it. Like it. It burns my skin. I think I basically threw it away. Um, so this is this is was really interesting. It it went like a couple different routes. The the ghost stuff is definitely interesting. But like the whole goat thing, ghosts and goats—that's that's what it comes down to. It has just been like, it's like in my head I can rationalize the way they're thinking, other than like ripping a statue out of the ground and chunking it into a river. But you know, in in my head, part of me like rationalizes it. So it's it's really a tough spot. It, it it's very interesting subject. Ghost goats and Colonel um, Sanders. That's gonna sum it up. Because. Yeah, that I mean that's pretty much it. Like, yeah, fun times with the colonel. All right, well, thank you all for checking us out. If you're new, we hope to have you back next week. Um, you can always get into the conversation at Turdy for Turdy. That's F O R Turdy for Turdy, or you can um, send us an email at TFT Podcast. No, TFT Pod. Sorry, TFT Pod 2018 at Gmail dot com. Uh, We'll talk to you next week with another new old sports history story. Bye-bye. Bye. Later.